Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Amen. Psalm 100 says, worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful song. Amen. How many are glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Worshiping the Lord with joyful song. And man, I am grateful to gather with the body of Christ. There's, there's a few places, a few places you can go in the in the in, in the city to to really get quality music that's culturally relevant, that's theologically sound at the same time where you get to just enjoy yourself. And I, I pray that you guys would never come in here and, and be stuffy, but this is a place where we can be free. Uh, but equally as excited to dig into the word as I am to worship with you. So let's grab our Bibles and do it. Got another service coming in, so I want to keep us moving. Romans chapter 8 is where we are. Amen. Shout out to the worship team. Man, taking us back to Greenville, you say South Carolina? North Carolina. All right. We're back in our Romans series. We've been going through a, a series on the book of Romans. We are committed to working through all of what scripture has to say. I love what Paul says in Ephesians, uh, and not in Ephesians, in, in uh, the book of Acts. He says to the Ephesian elders that I did not shrink away from declaring to you the whole counsel of God's word. And that's such a ministry that uh, he, he feels like he really exhausted all of what the scriptures have to say. And so that's what we'll do uh, today. And that is what we are committed in. We started this book in January of last year. And when we started it, I mean, Paul opened up pounding on us on outward sins. In fact, there's 22 sins that he lists out in chapter one. I was laughing last night. I was rereading chapter one and one of the sins that he lists out is inventors of evil. It was almost like he just ran out of stuff to say. It was just like, y'all just like be inventing stuff to do. Uh, and, and, and so he, he pounded on us in chapter one, chapter two, he got us about our hypocrisy and got us, got at us about our self-righteousness. And then last week we got some reprieve and got to rejoice where he talked about there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm always amazed at how a book that is written between 56 and 58 AD can be applicable to us in 2020. And we don't have to make the word of God relevant. It's always just relevant. Okay, Isaiah says it this way, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, that thing stands forever. And so I'm excited, excited to exhaust what it is that God is saying to us today. Why don't you look with me at verse 18? Y'all straight this morning? Yeah. Yeah. I need y'all to talk back just a little bit. Verse 18 says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was not subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption uh, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, pay attention to verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly, we eagerly wait for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, underline this, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, you know, this verse, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn amongst many brothers. And for those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. I want to tag this text and preach for a short amount of time on the topic, unshakable hope. Let's look together uh, to the Lord before we dig in. Father, we are back at it again and We sit before your infallible word of God, realizing that we don't have all the answers in and of ourselves. We don't know the direction that we should go. But Father, we sit, oh God, in anticipation of what you will do and what you will say today. So we thank you, oh God. We we never want to allow this moment not to be transformational. But Father, would would you speak to the broken heart that's in the room today? Would you speak to the one that is... Um, riding off their own success today. Would you break us all down, oh God, and build us all back up? Your word can do that, and we thank you for it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let everybody say amen. Amen. Unshakable hope. Uh, Being a pastor sometimes causes me to travel quite a bit for uh, various reasons. So sometimes there's commitments that I have to preach or uh, maybe it's a commitment to a conference that I go to or meetings that I have to go to or retreats or, or, or there's some obligation. There's something that I always have to attend. And because of that, I'm in and out the airport quite a bit throughout the year. And Whenever I'm traveling, I think it's because I'm a procrastinator. I always forget to pack something. I don't know if y'all are like me, but there's something there. And it's probably because I never pack until like right before I'm about to walk out the door. So I've left toothbrushes before, mouthwash. I've left uh, uh, clothes and T-shirts and socks and phone chargers. Phone chargers is the worst when you leave that. And there, there's some, two brushes are too. <laughs> well, put that out there real quick. And so there's various things that I've left before. And, you know, thank God that most of the airport, if not all of the airports that I travel through, always have stores and shops in them. Now, now the stores and the shops inside the airports are very intentional. They are not there for you to load up, but for you to grab something as you are passing through. The the stores are not your final destination. You didn't wake up and say, I'm going to go to the store at the airport. No, you are passing through the airport. And so they're designed to help people like me that forget to pack certain things so you can grab. And the the mindset of every airport is not that you would load up and that you would be detoured or distracted from the destination. This is why you'll never see a shopping cart inside of an airport. 
Because they don't expect you to be there long. In fact, if you go to the restaurant, they don't expect you to be there long. They have to-go counters where you grab your food and go because they want to help you as you are passing through. They do not want you to get distracted and miss your flight. And likewise, it is the same for us here on earth. If you have trusted in Jesus, how many know this is not your home? Philippians 3.20 will say it this way. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so you are simply just passing through. And God never intended for his believers to pass through and be distracted on the destination. He never intended for us to stock up and store up here. But he wants you to keep moving as you are passing through. And he wants you to think about the destination without getting distracted. So we come to a passage. Where I think what Paul is doing is he's essentially addressing the tension between present distractions and future glory. Let me say that again. What Paul is doing today is he's addressing the tension between present distractions and future glory. How many know that between now and heaven, if you trusted in Jesus, between now and heaven, life is filled with a bunch of stuff to detour you? to get you off track, to get you not focused. But Paul is going to refocus us today and he's going to plead with us to keep our eyes on the prize, not the inconsistencies of life. Why don't you help me preach and say, don't get distracted. Don't don't get bamboozled. Don't get hoodwinked. Don't don't. As my family would say, don't get got while being here on earth. We are just passing through. We are but dust, and as we are dust, you know, life is quick. The Bible said this way, life is like, like a vapor. Yeah. You, you can be here today and going today because it's, it's that quick. And so, and so what, what Paul is going to do is he's going to call us to not focus on the things that distract us here. He mentions, now there's a bunch of different distractions. We don't have time to deal with all of them, but there's one specific one that he starts with. Look at the first one that he starts with in verse In verse 18, he says, for I consider, here it is, that the sufferings of this present time, the the, the first distraction is suffering. Okay, that might not make sense yet, but if we're not careful, present suffering can cause us to lose focus on a future glory that we have where there is no more suffering. And let's let's be honest, sometimes suffering of the, the sufferings of this world can be so challenging that it can literally knock the wind out of you. It can distract you. It can get you off focus. But we are called to never focus merely on the, the sufferings and the hardships and the trials of now. But we are called to look at something that is going to be greater than even what we're dealing with. Yeah. So we forget that there's a promise that is made. Remember last week we talked about promises. We forget that there is a promise that is made in the scriptures. Remember verse 11 says we'll be raised with him. You forget that there's a promise that there's a day coming where that thing that is stinging you right now is going to be no more. That that, that thing is temporary and it doesn't feel temporary right now. It, It doesn't feel minor right now. It doesn't feel obsolete right now. Right now it feels like the weight of the world. Now here's what I think Paul is not doing. Paul is not calling you to look ahead and minimizing your sufferings. Let me say that again. He, he is not minimizing your sufferings and neither do I. I don't want to minimize. Some of you are, are, have walked in here today with some deep struggles, with some deep hurt and some deep pain and some deep stuff that you are dealing with. And so Paul is not minimizing it. You know how I know? Because Paul himself understood what it meant to suffer. 
Paul is the perfect person to write about suffering because he understands what suffering is really like. No, no, no joke. When Paul got saved in Acts chapter nine, the Bible says that Jesus knocks him off a horse and then says, you're going to bear my name amongst the Gentiles. And there I will show you how much you will suffer. I'm going to be like, God, I'm just not following you. If you're going if you're going to lead me into suffering at the door, this is why I hate the prosperity gospel. This gospel that tells you you meet Jesus and you get a bins and you get a house and you get money in the bank. No, Jesus just told Paul, you get me and you get suffering. But the suffering is temporary. But but the suffering is, is, is minor. I know it feels major, but it's minor. And Paul understands he's not telling you to minimize your sufferings. He's telling you, I understand your sufferings, but your sufferings pale into comparison to a future glory and a future hope that awaits you. You know how I know that Paul understood your suffering? Because he lists out his resume about how he suffers. Can y'all do me a favor? Go really quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, what Paul is going to do in 2 Corinthians 11 is amazing to me. He's going to list out, he's comparing himself to others who suffered. And he says, I know y'all suffered, but I suffered far greater than you. And he lists out how many times and how he suffered. He says in verse, verse 22, he says, I'm talking, I'm getting in the middle of the, of the verse. He says, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings. You know you got beat a lot when you lost count. He don't even know how many times he got beat, but don't just notice how many times, note the severity of his beatings. He says, countless beatings often near to death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews, 40 lashes minus one. 25 times I was beaten with a rod. Once I was stoned. I don't think you've ever been stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And what's funny about him being shipwrecked three times, the last time he was shipwrecked in Acts chapter 27, the Bible says that he floats on a plank to the shore. He gets to the shore. The natives receive him. They build a fire. He goes to the wood to uh, get to the woods to get fire and gets bit by a snake. I would have been like, God, are you serious? Like this type? I just floated all night to get here. And then you're going to cause a snake to bite me? Says three times he was shipwrecked. At night and at day, adrift to sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger from the city, danger from the wilderness, danger in the sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst without food uh, in cold and exposure. And then that's not it. He, he even considers the anxiety he has for the churches as a suffering. He says, apart from other things, there are daily pressure on me and my anxiety for all the churches. Paul suffered more than you. Unless you've gotten stoned, unless you've been shipwrecked, Unless you've been bitten by a snake, unless you've gotten beat countless times, often near to death, you haven't suffered as much as Paul. But even Paul understood that all of the stuff that I just laid out pales into comparison to a future glory. And I know you walked in here with some hardship and I don't want to minimize it. I I understand it. So many of you right now are 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 grieving the loss of a loved one. That's a hard, that's a hard thing to to deal with. Many of you right now have gotten a bad diagnosis from the doctor and you don't know what to do with that diagnosis. That is a hard thing to deal with. Some of you are going through separation and divorce right now. 
So some of you are dealing with the betrayal of friends and the betrayal of family members. Many of you in this room have anxiety and depression and you're on medication because of anxiety and depression. And this life is filled with hardship. It's filled with suffering. And I don't want to minimize it, but I want to tell you there's something that's coming. And the thing that's coming is far greater than what you are dealing with. I wish that I could push a button and cause your anxiety to go away. I wish I could push a button and cause the grief to go away, but I can't because suffering actually is a consequence of the fall. And so therefore suffering will always be present as long as you're living. But there is a day that's coming where God will redeem all things. And when he redeems it, there's no suffering. When he redeems it, there's no hardship. There is there are no deaths. There are, there's no anxiety in heaven. And so let me put some Bible here to what you're feeling. Here it is. Job chapter 14, verse one. Man who is born of a woman woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's your that's that's our lives summed up right there. Here's another verse for you to write down. Take that epiphany pen out. Philippians chapter one, verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Yes, your suffering is real. Yes, your suffering is hard. Yes, your suffering stings, but it will be over one day and we should rejoice. We should rejoice. And so y'all made it to church today. My wife says I yell too much. Y'all made it to church today for me to yell at you, to tell you to hold on just a little longer. I know it's hard. I know you're ready to give up. You're ready to throw your hands up. I know you are ready to quit. But I love what Psalms 30 says. We've been made endure for a night. I feel my help right here. But joy comes. It's the churchy song. Made me feel something. But joy comes in the morning. And many of you right now are in the middle of the night, of the weeping of the night. But just hold on through the night. Because the Bible tells me that joy is coming in the morning. And so here's what I know. I know that your suffering will might be for the rest of this life. I, but 70 years, 75, 80, 90 years it is nothing compared to eternity with no suffering. I'll endure 75, 80, 90 years, 100 years of suffering to get to the point where I will spend eternity with God with no suffering. And what we need to do while on earth is get above. You have to have hope that is above the struggle. I don't know if that makes sense. All of your problems are here on earth. But because I believed in Jesus Christ, I have a hope that is above above the struggle. Speaking of flights, I I took a flight one time to Chattanooga, Tennessee. I didn't even know anything was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I get the, uh, I'm about to board the flight and... They delayed the flight because of a severe thunderstorm outside. So I'm sitting in the airport looking outside. And actually, I'm okay if you're delaying flights because of weather. I'm like, cool. I'd rather take off when it's nice outside. And then the the, the flight got delayed again. And then it got delayed a third time. And I thought they were going to cancel the flight. And then finally, they were like, we're good to board. But I was confused. I was confused because it was still raining outside and it was still windy outside. So I'm like, man, we can't take off in this. So I go to the desk. I'm like, are you sure we're good? And they're like, yeah, as long as it's not lightning, we're, we're straight. And so we get onto the plane. And while we get onto the plane, the, the pilot comes on the loudspeaker and he's taxiing the runway. He says, all right, guys, don't just buckle up, but really brace yourselves because we're about to take it. This ain't making your boy feel good at all. 
We're about to go through some major turbulence as we take off because we are riding through a storm and I'm worried and I'm nervous and he wasn't lying when we took off. It felt like we was a toy plane in the kid's hand and he was just going like this. Like he was shaking and, and it was the turbulence was bad. There was moments where he was dropping and going back up. And I'm like, oh, this is like, Lord, you're taking me out like this. I, I didn't know it was going to be like this when I go out. And we was shaking and shaking and about 15 minutes into the flight. I just felt nothing. I'm like, what happened? And the, the, the pilot gets back on and the pilot says, uh, I'm turning off the seatbelt sign. You are now free to move about the cabin. We have reached our cruising altitude and your boy is confused. So I asked the flight attendant, I said, what in the world just happened? There's no rain outside. How did we get through the storm so quickly? Are, are we? What happened? And she says, oh, oh, baby, the pilot's a good pilot. He got above the storm. In, in other words, our perspective of the issue right now, you got to get above it your hardship you got to get above the rain above the lightning above the wind because there is no turbulence in heaven it's it's turbulence free in heaven and and so what paul is doing here is he's trying to give you hope that's greater than your current circumstance while not minimizing your circumstance deal with your issues go to therapy grieve do the things you need to do, but do it with hope that one day it's going to be over. It's going to be no more to it. So Paul is lighting us up today. He's like, look, 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 I know y'all dealing with stuff, but there's a day coming where you won't deal with it. But here's how crazy sin is. You know, you're dealing with issues right now because of the fall of Adam and Eve. It's a consequence of the disobedience of, of, of Adam. Now, here's what's interesting. Humans aren't the only one grieving, suffering, and, and, and in need of hope. Do you know creation does as well? Look at the verse with me, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility. Let me jump down to verse 21. For the creation itself will be set free from bondage and corruption. Jump down to verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in childbirth pains. Jump down to verse 23. And not only the creation, five times in five verses, verse 19, verse 20, 21, 22, and 23, he talks about the creation groaning. So, so in other words, you and I in this room aren't the only ones longing for Christ to come back and redeem all things. The creation longs for Christ to come back. Even the creation, the Bible says that the creation is having contractions. Did did you read verse 22 with me where, where it said, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together as pains of childbirth. Do you, do you know what do you know what contractions are that 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 is exactly what are. So when a tsunami hits, I'm always thinking, oh, Romans eight is at play. Wow. You know, I, when, when the earthquake hits, I'm not confused. I'm always thinking, oh, this is the childbirth pains that Paul talked about. Wildfires and and, and 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 tsunamis, all of these things that happen in our creation, mudslides, all of these things that happen. I'm always going, oh, this is what Paul was talking about. This is why climate change is not a political issue, nor is it a hoax. It is a theological reality because climate change that, you know, it was 60 degrees this week. I know y'all went out with no coats on. Y'all got had pneumonia. Keep your cold. That's what grandma told me. Keep it on through the whole winter. 
It was nice out. We ain't had no snowstorms. I, I was uh, 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 in the barbershop and on the screen came this, this, um, th- th- this, this thing about the snow accumulation this year, how low it was and how South Carolina got more snow than Philadelphia and New York. That just doesn't make any sense to me. But now I'm like, oh, that's Romans chapter eight. The creation is longing for the, for the coming back of Christ. The creation is experiencing labor pains while we are waiting. I, I've never had a labor pain by God's grace. I need every mother to say amen right here. Amen. Y'all are some strong women. I've seen the assimilations where men, they try to hook men up to the things and try to assimilate what it, mimic what it actually, I know it's not the real thing, but we can't even take that. I've never, I've never been in labor, but I, I've been in the room and witnessed the, the birth of two of my children, both of my children. And uh, my oldest son, my wife was in um, labor for 17 hours. When he talks back, I just want to punch him in his face like, bro, you don't know. And she was in labor for 17 hours and it literally looked excruciating. So y'all, y'all millennials, y'all, y'all, y'all want to do natural births. God bless your heart. Listen, the, the, the man, the, the anesthesiologist walked in with the epidural. My wife said, I love you. Am I lying? She said, I love you. And, and so what, what, I've, what I've noticed about childbirth pains is at least contractions, two things about them. Number one, the closer you get to delivery, the more contractions you have. Not only that, the closer you get, the more severe the tra- contractions get. And so I'm, I'm never confused at why you look at the news and all of these things are happening in creation. I'm always going three things I'm thinking. Number one, Romans 8 is at play. Number two, God protect the people that were impacted. Number three, as a Christian, how can I help? That, those are the three things I'm always, always thinking when nature kills people. And it's going to keep happening. Why does it keep happening? Because it's a theological reality. He says the creation is groaning. The creation is screaming. We need hope. And the hope that we have is in Christ. Now, here's the question for you. Pastor B, what do we do while we are sitting here on earth? You mean to tell me I should just get beat up? Just keep getting beat up? That There's a couple of things that he tells us to do. I ask you to underline it. Verse 24, he says, for in this hope, We were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes in what he sees. But if we hope in what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The hope that he's talking about here, this is what we should be doing. That's why I said hope gets us above the struggle. We should be hoping in this reality. Hope is not this wishful thinking. You know, we'd be like, oh, God, I hope this. No, 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 no. God, remember last week, he's made promises. So therefore, my hope is not wishful thinking. My hope is waiting for it to happen. Waiting for Christ to come back. And when you when you can have real hope, it helps you to deal with present sufferings differently. If I know that there's an end date to this suffering, I can deal with it a little differently. But when there's no end date to it, when when there's no light at the end of the tunnel, it becomes unbearable. But hope that he's talking about in verse 24 and verse 25 is it really helps you with present day suffering today. This is how I I really don't know. And I'm not trying to if you don't know the Lord, I'm not trying to be funny here. I'm, I'm so serious when I say this. I do not know how those who do not know the Lord deal with suffering. I don't know. 
It's too, it would be too unbearable for me. But the way I'm able to deal with it now here on earth and no matter what suffering the Lord allows and brings into my life, I'm able to endure it because I know that it's going to be gone one day. So he says, have hope. The, the second thing he says in, at the end of verse 25 is wait for it with patience. Imagine that. Wait. Can you have you ever waited for anything eagerly? I'm not just saying like passively waiting, but eagerly waited for something. How many of you ever ordered something online? Yes. Y'all know. We order something online. You get that tracking number. You refresh that screen about 10 times in five minutes. We gonna and you know, I don't understand. Y'all gotta help your boy out. I don't understand the you the the the, the postal service, the shipping routes. Like it's I ordered something from Jersey. It went to Milan, <laughs> Chicago, LA, and then finally got to New. I'm like, bro, just bring it over the bridge. We straight. But have you ever waited for something and you were eager to get it? There's a few things that happens when you're eagerly waiting for a package. Number one, you're gonna track it and you're gonna look at its movement. So you're constantly going to be refreshing. The other thing that happens is there's a there's an excitement you have when you get the actual date that is going to arrive. And you all know when the date comes, we're going to rearrange our schedule to make sure we home for two reasons. Number one, you want to put that thing on. and You want to walk around the house and stretch and stuff. But number two, y'all know these Brooklyn Jokers ain't right. They are still your package. So you wait. You rearrange your schedule in order to be home. Why? Because you are eagerly waiting. But why is it that we treat our packages differently than waiting for Christ? We should be refreshing our version Bible app. You, you, you should be anticipating him. You should be excited about him. And when you know that he's on his way back, you should be rejoicing. Why is it that we don't rearrange our schedules for Christ? But you'll do it for ASOS. You'll do it for that Amazon gift, but you won't. We don't rearrange our schedules for Christ. And that is what it looks like to, as the scripture says here, wait with patience. Eagerly waiting. And I, I don't know who it is in this room that you're dealing with suffering right now. You're dealing with hardship right now when you have no hope. You feel hopeless. You feel stuck. Anybody ever felt stuck before? Just feel like it's, it's just never going to end. I wish I could be the preacher that tells you it's going to end. This is going to be your year. Mm, it might not. This year, might, you might get lit up this year. Like The Lord might allow that, and I can't, I can't help you with that. I, again, I wish I could stop it, but I can't. The reality is, I can promise you this. If you get Jesus, you got hope that you can deal with anything. There, there's nothing you can't deal with. Not only that, I don't have time to deal with it, but if you look at verse 28, four words, all things work together like there is nothing you go through that God is God is sits in heaven and he plays chess and he makes moves in your life that you're like why did you do this why would you make this move but at the end of the day he's always going to say king me at the end of the day he's always going to have a checkmate why is he going to do that because he knows what he's doing I read the end of the story I know how this thing ends so I can deal differently with it now I don't know who you are in here that you're dealing with hardship and I'm not going to minimize it today, but what I am going to do is point you to a greater hope. If you could play something soft, I don't know if Josh is in here. Play something soft. I, I really feel led today. We don't, you know, we had, used to have the stage up here and we had an altar. We don't really have that anymore. But I want to give somebody the opportunity to respond to what they feel with suffering. 
when I was preparing this message, I, I really, I was thinking about specific conversations that I had with some of you and the stuff that you're dealing with. I'm like, how in the world are they even surviving? How are that, they not emotionally disturbed? And then I read this passage, I said, oh, they got hope. They got hope beyond what they're dealing with. I don't know who it is in this room that you walked in here and life, you got a bad, you got dealt a bad hand. This year has been a long year and we only in February. You've been dealing with a lot. Deal with anxiety. You've been grieving. Somebody, I had dinner with uh, the Gordons earlier this week. I don't know if y'all know who the Gordons are, but I had dinner with them and they were talking about how they both lost a parent a month apart. That's hardship. I, I don't know who you are, but here's what I want to do. I just want to give you a chance to respond. If that's you, can you just wait, just lift your hand. If you would say, I'm dealing with a lot right now and I could use a little hope. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. Here's what I love about God is that you don't have to come to the altar. He brings the altar to you today. And whoever it is, some of you didn't even raise your hand, but the reality is you know that life is lighting you up. I want to pray for more hope today.